dear listener. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening to the Spooky Doings podcast. My name is Rick Cousman. I'm an improv comedian from New York. Just got back from booping around New England into Stephen King country, hint to Bangor, Maine the first time. And you got to stop at Salem on the way back because we love spooky things. Uh, that's why we do this show. That's why we talk to you. That's hopefully why you listen to us. Uh, and hopefully you like funny stuff too. But of course, it's not as much fun when you're doing it without well, my other half, my creative partner, the wonderful gal getting caffeinated right now. Uh, the Alabama enforcer, Chelsea Bennington. How are you, Chelsea? I'm good. What you said just reminded me. You used to call me a growth that came off of you. Remember that? Um, I don't recall. Rona has ransacked my memory. Yeah. It was definitely um, before COVID. It used to be a joke that we had. I, oh my God, that was so long ago. Oh, now I'm that, sad. That was 43 <laughs> years ago. By that was 43 God. years ago. That was, oh my God, I look so good for my age. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I actually, you went to, uh, you had your little spooky field trip, which was fun. I had my own spooky field trip yesterday. I went to a very, very frightening place where no one of our kind feels welcome. And Where'd it's you go? called Long Island. <laughs> so That'll do it. Yep. Because I went to the beach yesterday, which was really lovely. I, I do I do like beach. I my job is beach sometimes. Um okay. you can't tell by my skin tone for sure. You definitely cannot. You definitely cannot, but it's been a unbearably hot summer, as everybody knows across the world. It's been like the hottest summer ever. So that's not even an exaggeration. I think that's a scientific fact. True. Um, but it, it hasn't been beach weather and it's and it's been kind of a bummer. Um, I haven't gone out to Coney Island nearly as much as I usually have in the past few summers, mostly because it's just too hot. Um um, but yesterday was really lovely and it, I definitely sunscreened it up on my top half. My legs are very red because <laughs> I did forget to take care of my legs. So um, I'm slightly toasted. Wait, wait, that's like a drug thing. No, I'm not yeah. toasted. Like, yeah, no, it's, I'm not right now. Broiled? Fricasseed? Broiled. Yes, broiled. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and, and let's not get too spooky because... Um, after we recorded the previous episode, we brought you out to Long Island to do trivia with our lovely guest, Stephanie Kane. And and what was the result of that uh, trivia event there, Chelsea? Full delight. And oh, fun. <laughs> yep, we won. I didn't think we it won. was going to happen because it was true crime, but we did our, we, we, we did sweep and came out on top. I had the best time there. Oh my God. Um, I, uh, highly recommend that was that was so much fun everybody there was a good vibe the drinks were absolutely delicious and i left with oh steven where is he oh he's near my record player i forgot this is an audio thing i was about to bring steven out okay steven is a uh tiny frankenstein monster that is chelsea's son um and uh, this is just one of the things that 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 happens uh, with improvisers, as we keep uh, long running inside jokes between ourselves, uh, going in real life, because uh, we're fun like that. All right, Stephen is not a joke. 
that's really offensive and insulting to me. That is my child. But at least you did not have to physically birth. That's true. That's true. I got it. Yep, that's true. But manifested by the universe. And that's that's why it's funny, because uh, he's an abomination on several levels in the sci-fi sense of uh, young Mary Shelley and in the fact that he was not uh, fired out of your baby bag into the world. I know, but he's my abomination and I love him. This is very true. But yeah, true crime. So we won a true crime trivia. And it's very appropriate for today's topic. Exactly. That's why I brought it up. (laughs) Queen of segues. The cleverest segue ever. So true crime, eh? (laughs) So today we're talking about a case that's very uh, close to my heart. I've I've followed it uh, not obsessively, but kept a close eye on it for goddamn nearly... 30 years. I'm old as shit, and so is this case. Uh, The case of the West Memphis Three. So before we get into my old-ass experience with it, um, what what possessed you, Chelsea, to visit the uh, document, the Paradise Lost documentaries that are available on Max presently? So there's a there's a podcast I listen to called it's a comedy podcast called H3 and they were talking about it um, randomly and uh, they just said like whoa have you seen this Paradise Lost uh, documentary it's about you know they gave a very vague and you know broad stroke broadly stroked um, uh, summary just talking about it's these kids who were wrongfully convicted um, well they believe they were wrongfully convicted of the murder of these little boys and it's kids that you know wore black and listened to metal and you know one of them was interested in you know Wicca and uh, you know it's a small town in Arkansas and of course they got painted this way because it was near the end of satanic panic as well um and that all of that I was like that sounds so interesting I don't why is that not ringing a bell for me because I I like almost every woman uh in her 30s had a true crime phase a hardcore true crime phase um and I don't anymore because I realized you know as I got older a lot of the content that I was consuming true crime wise was made for comedic purposes or was just made you know, truly for kind of lowbrow entertainment. Um, so I stopped, you know, I stopped listening to true crime podcasts when I realized I'm like, why am I listening to a 911 recording right now? Or why am I like, this is, this is not okay. This is not okay for me to consume and not really feel anything about it. So, um, so I haven't really dove into like true crime documentaries or anything, because I also have, it's just true crime documentaries and Paradise Lost is not, um, is not an exception by any means, but how biased true crime, any documentary is, it's always going to have a bias. Like I think, uh, I promise this will be short. I'm getting really long-winded into how I got into Paradise Lost, but I was wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I was hesitant to watch it because I, like many people, um binged making a murderer when it came out on netflix and i like many people was like oh my god stephen avery was wrongfully convicted he did not do this 
I really hardcore believed that. And then I did my own, like, you know, research on the other side and things that were left out of the documentary and got as full of a picture as I could. And Rick knows my opinion of it is, and people will likely disagree, is I absolutely think Stephen Avery did it. I think he's a monster now. And um, I think the police did uh, plant evidence, which is not okay. Like that is definite, that is how he got caught. But I do think, you know, I was like, wow, this documentary really made me sympathize with this guy and think, you know, he did nothing wrong. And then I see all the things that they left out. And so that's why I was like, I don't know if I really want to watch Paradise Lost because I'm sure it's biased, but I still was like, no, I'm going to watch it. I saw that it was like three parts spanning so many years. And that was one thing I loved about the Staircase documentary was that how long that spanned. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. Um, And as I was watching the first episode, it's, it's absolutely horrifying. Like the first one starts with uh, you see the dead children. Nothing is blurred out you you see them in in the crime scene footage and it's absolutely heartbreaking um so i was like wow this is starting really really rough and as i kept watching like it it just really fascinated me and i think it was in the middle of the first episode i texted rick and i had asked because i thought of rick because i thought this was Rick in the 90s, like wearing dark clothes and listening to, you know, music that the mass, you know, audiences may not listen to or just looking like an outsider or a freak or anything like that. Um, oh God, it sounds like I'm insulting you. I promise I'm not. Uh, you're you're <laughs> so, not wrong yet. Um, and so I was thinking, oh, and it's around the time like Rick would have been in school and everything. So, uh, so I texted Rick and I asked him and he mentioned it, it held a close, you know, place in his heart. I was like, I don't even think I've ever heard of this. And, and Rick and his girlfriend both were like, are you serious? (laughs) Like they just realized you haven't seen this. And so, um, yeah, I watched the three episodes or little movies. I mean, each episode is two and a half hours long um within two I, I, I like how you call it episodes like it was a docuseries which I know when it was just three it, yeah, is it wasn't movies, really they collected as a series on HBO now oh they do okay yeah it's yeah. categorized as a series oh, okay yeah because that that was that was not the case uh if you were following it in real time like I was um for any listeners that are not familiar uh, May 5th, 1993, three eight-year-old boys, Steve Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers were reported missing in West Memphis, Arkansas. And that's who Chelsea described as being found at the beginning of Paradise Lost, the Childhood Murders in Robin Hood Hills. And you are absolutely right, Chelsea. I am roughly the same age as uh, the West Memphis Three, Damian Eccles, uh, Jesse Miskelly, and uh shit i'm forgetting the jason baldwin there we go i should be able to remember all three and when the documentary directed by joe berlinger and bruce sanoski uh first premiered on hbo didn't have cable but the girl i was dating at the time did and she was interested in watching it and i watched this movie and it is the most terrifying work of nonfiction I've ever seen because, as you say, if my parents didn't immigrate to a cool place like New York from their 
respective countries if they ended up in a place like West Memphis, Arkansas. I'd have been a long-haired, heavy metal listening, horror movie watching, Stephen King reading, outcast that probably would have befriended these three and could have potentially been locked up with them just because they didn't look right. And uh, the filmmakers, they showed up in West Memphis, Arkansas at the time, thinking, here's a story uh, about child murders. We can make a documentary of it. And they got very immersive talking with the grieving family. So I don't fully blame. If your kid is killed and the cops, who you've been trained to believe are the good guys. They're helping you. And they say, we have who did it. You're going to take all that grief, all that anger, all that sadness, all the very raw emotions that uh, I presently find unimaginable. And you're going to direct it at who they tell you to. But the evidence didn't support it. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that pointed away and a lot of uh, malfeasance on the part of the West Memphis Police Department that, uh, much like in the case of making a murder, the cops weren't doing their job straight up. The prosecutors weren't doing their job straight up. And the mentality of the Bible Belt area of um, the United States wouldn't have cared at that time. Uh, now you grew up in, in Alabama and you know spent time in, in Georgia. So you probably have a better understanding of the older generations uh, of that area. But for me sitting at uh, 95, I would have been 19 in New York, just watching the documentary and going, there's no fucking way. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in very much a small town. Like, I'm talking pharmacy, McDonald's, gas station, school, and a church. Like, it was so small. I can't even, it's called Southside. And I, when people ask where I'm from in Alabama, I say Southside, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. So I have to say, like, the bigger city next to it. Or I'll even say, oh, it's like 40 minutes outside of Birmingham. Like, that's just how small it is. And very Bible Belt. And I mean, I grew up, uh, I had a, you know, a phase, um, especially in middle school and going into high school where I was wearing um, a lot of dark clothing, a lot of like band t-shirts and things like that. And like painted my nails black as much as my mom hated it, um, which is why I would do it. Like my hair, there's a very funny picture and I need to find it. And it's me at a tea room with my family. And um everybody's dressed really nice and I'm sitting there with like just flat ironed like straight long hair heavy like eyeliner a a black I'm with the band t-shirt and like black baggy jeans and just not really smiling and it's just like hmm, one of those does not look like the other but this does go back to me calling you a growth that fell off me exactly I've got plenty of family photos where I look the same way 
sans nail polish. It was it was really funny, and I do think there were times, and I I should ask my mom to clarify. I mean, it was about image a lot of the time and fear of like how people would react. Like my mom didn't like me wearing stuff like that or painting my nails black, or because she was like, people are gonna think you're you know a satanist or people are going to think you know this it's not oh it's ugly it's thinking about what others are going to think especially mm-hmm. in a smaller town you bring up a great point about um the parents taking that grief and um putting it on the teenagers the ones that were arrested i think um it's so interesting it's why even you know the the dad um or the stepfather who was featured in it a lot, who, um, his name, sorry, I'm trying yes, um, yes, Fires, uh, he, you know, he's easy to almost poke fun at in the documentary, just because of all the hell speak he has, and, um, John Mark Byers, yeah, thank you, um, and talking about, you know, shooting, shooting a gun, and saying, you know, this is for you, Damien, and, like, stuff like that, like, but at the same time, I can't help but sympathize because of, uh, with, with all of the parents, because what a, losing a child is terrible but Mm. in that way is like unspeakable and it's it's so violent what was done to those what was done to those children and when you have like who you said the law enforcement people of you know honor respect authority you know uh, that's how you see them or that's how they would see them uh telling you yeah it's it's them they did it we got them we got them you don't have to worry of course all of that anger that you're feeling and that grief because you're already not likely properly taking care of it because again this is the 90s in a small town um of course you're going to be angry of course you're going to picture like them getting killed um and wanting them to die and wanting to see justice and and saying awful things and i think it really speaks to the case how not to jump to the end um because you know we can reel it back after this but uh the fact that like what like almost split in half well I mean some of the family members are or parents are dead now but the ones that are alive especially buyers well no buyers died a couple of years ago um but anyway they started believing that they were innocent that you know actually now looking at all of it you know justice has not been served and now the case is closed and i'm never going to know who killed my kid like all of these parents are going to die not knowing who killed their child um even the ones who the ones who already passed obviously did and that's heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and i think it really speaks to the fact like you don't often see you know victims families going back and saying oh i don't think this was done well (laughs) done right like of course there's the ones that say you know the documentary is trash and it's biased and we still we still believe they did it like the one family member the one parent who wanted uh the third film to not be considered for an academy uh award nomination um and wrote a public letter so you still of course have have people who believe they did it but um but I think it really speaks to the police work, the fact that there's family members that are that are questioning it. Speaking of the police work, uh, and again, uh, Berlinger and Sanofsky, uh, 
admitted that when they started this project, they had no bias whatsoever. They were just covering things and they had access to the victims, families, uh, the defendants and their families. But just as information came out, it's like th this, this ain't right. And speaking of ain't right, on uh, June 3rd of that year, the police investigated Jesse Miskelly Jr., uh, who was a minor and had an IQ of 72, which categorized him as borderline intellectual functioning. And he was interrogated for 12 hours without an adult or an attorney present, no guardian present. And only 15 minutes of that interrogation was recorded. And even the recording, it's blatant how the police are leading Miss Kelly to the answers that they want to get. And Miss Kelly incriminates himself. He incriminates Baldwin. He incriminates Eccles. And that's enough for the arrest. And the subsequent trial. And think of how shitty that is when you're a teenager. And uh, in, in the case of, of Damien Eccles, he, the, the police in the area didn't like him already. Uh, teenage, uh, teenager that got his girlfriend pregnant was already considered weird. Uh, numerous like misdemeanors uh, from a broken home. Uh, just known among law enforcement as watch out for that one as good old boys would tend to do and then you're brought in on a murder rap and you're dirt fucking poor and you have to rely on public defenders to get you off from a fucking death penalty case uh, speaking of someone who was just as involved with something not nearly as uh, severe as that it does a number on you mentally physically but I, I can't even imagine what it would be like. Oh, my state's going to try to kill me. Great. Yeah, I know. The gosh, it's it's interesting the the interrogation because I've seen, you know, because I did what I did after watching Making a Murder. So after I finished the Paradise Lost uh movies, <laughs> I um I there's a great website and I'll, I'll find it where it does have every single document and file and, and report all in one. And I spent a few hours on it, just looking through everything. Um, and I saw like conflicting reports about the interrogation about 12 hours versus four hours and things like that. But it's still the inconsistencies in his, like, I think his three confessions, um, it, it was two or three uh speak for themselves but also in making a murder there's the nephew of Stephen Avery who was also a very um a, I don't remember like IQ and such but I I remember he was a, a challenged young man yeah who a challenge that if he gave the police the answers to the questions that they were asking that they wanted he would mm -hmm. be able to go home and see Wrestlemania yeah, exactly. And he even, when you see the footage in the documentary, it they keep, they're saying, wasn't there something? 
what wasn't there some, did you do something with her head like they start feeding him stuff that he says like yeah we cut her hair like he's just not like computing mm-hmm. what they're doing and he's just like i just want to finish this so i can go back to class and then go home and watch wrestlemania like that's that's all his thinking he even says like when we're done can i go like he's the severity is not there so i thought those were very eerily similar and i'm sure that's done significantly more than than we know of i think when looking at the three and i know the most notable one is uh is damian eccles i i remember thinking um and i've seen people like on the subreddit for west memphis 3 and other people just in in my research saying like he didn't do himself a lot of favors like he said he was a weird guy who said weird shit (laughs) at the end of the day which is fair like his boogeyman comment about becoming the boogeyman of of west memphis it's like no (laughs) but again he's 18 right allowed to say weird things when when you're a teenager like that and you already don't fit in you know it i i'm still there uh at at my age it's like all right this is what you think i am you you can't help but poke yeah the fucking bear especially when you really are poking the bear in a situation that's so unbelievable uh again when you're brought up to believe, you know, cops are the good guys, they catch bad guys, and that's the way it is. When you're like, I didn't do this thing I'm being accused of, there's no way they can find me guilty. But they did. And if you watch uh, these films, uh, and you, they have the testimony right there happening, and yes, there is a, a cellmate uh, that gives hearsay testimony about jailhouse confessions, uh, oh, that was so stupid. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. It was. It was absolutely stupid. Um, there is, uh, for Damien, it's like, okay, he wore black. He read Stephen King books. But they're frequently referred to as Stephen King movies. Uh, listened to Metallica. Wrote in a journal. Again, <laughs> Rick, you're 16. What are you doing? All those things. And that, that, but that's not admission of guilt in a triple homicide. Um, again, especially with evidence happening, but the judge is striking all kinds of things. And Damien, I think, uh, well, I understand for the documentary, Damien did himself no favors by referring to him as boogeyman. He did himself no favors, in my opinion, most by taking the stand. And no lawyer should let a defendant take the stand. I know, because with uh, with oh my gosh, I'm I have the names in front of me. With it was um Jason Baldwin, right? Who his lawyers were like, see how that worked, see mm-hmm. how he was. That's why we're not having you take the stand. Because uh, yeah, no lawyer should have done that. Because even as a teenager, Damian Eccles may have been the smartest guy in the room. Uh, you're not smart enough to fight the justice system that's clearly got it in for you. And uh, in his trial, Jesse Miscelli was found guilty, sent it to life without parole. Joint trial, Jason Baldwin, guilty, life without parole. Damien Eccles, guilty, sentenced to death row. And that first film ends. And even though that, that film ended, 
the fact that it was made is the best thing that happened to those three defendants. Uh, Metallica heard about the case, lent their music to the film free of charge. And so these dirt poor Arkansas kids got a movie made about what they went through. They were convicted, they're gonna appeal, but now it's out in the public eye. And that did more for everybody else of all different races that didn't have that advantage because you know you're you're on the internet or you watch the news or whatever and every few months there's a thing of this person was released from prison and been exonerated after 20 or more years when dna testing proved that they couldn't have done it dna testing is fucking expensive <laughs> the court defense is fucking expensive these kids did not have that Jesse Muskelly was living in a fucking trailer with his dad. They didn't have shit. But, like I said, and I don't know if it's the website that you mentioned, but websites started popping up uh, chronicling the ways these people couldn't do it. And in the early days of the internet, people were coming to the conclusion that, okay, what happened to these three victims is a tragedy, but these three defendants didn't do it. And something has to be done. Uh, the system has failed. Justice has gone wrong. And there's a grassroots support group. And I, from New York, was one of these people. I had VHS tapes of the first two documentaries, and I was lending them out to people that had never heard of the case. I'm like, you didn't know, watch this. This is some bullshit. This goes wrong. Um, and uh, I'm sure the website that you went to that covers everything there's probably a lot of stuff from mara leverett who wrote the book devil's knot uh she is a journalist that covered fucking everything it's very comprehensive uh it was made into a movie starring reese witherspoon or, or at least has the same title to that and by the yeah. time the second film comes out uh the people that are supporting the west memphis three getting a lot of pushback from people that are believing the system but it has to be done <laughs> so what did you think of that second one yeah i mean i had already looked it up because i was like this case is starting to sound familiar when i um when i was watching the first one and i saw like oh right like i remember celebrity support you know like johnny depp and and pearl jam and others you know that were that were supporting um the west memphis three and you know, the nation's uproar over um believing they were innocent and wrongfully wrongfully accused i think the second one was so interesting in showing um, the people who started like uh, the organization to, you know, support and get the West Memphis Three uh, released. Um, all of those people who met like on online forums after watching it on HBO and, and stuff like that. I thought that was really cool. It was really hard to watch from just you know feeling empathy for what happened it was really hard to watch um buyers talk to them and them mm -hmm. arguing over or debating i don't know if you can call it an argument over you know outside the courthouse over it and um 
them even starting to, you know, accuse buyers and saying, um, you know, well, where were you? What, where's your alibi? What have you been doing? I can't remember what exactly they said to him, but it was just really painful to watch that. I felt like that wasn't doing the innocent, you know, the side that believes they're innocent. I don't think it was doing them a lot of favors because then you're becoming what you're against and you're just going for, uh, the religious, definitely abusive father and saying like, well, you did it. And, you know, that was painful to watch because I was like, I don't think I could ever like look at someone whose child was brutally murdered and, and say why I believe like the others are innocent, at least not when it's still relatively fresh. I don't know. That was just kind of hard to watch. I was like, I I'm surprised I'm not seeing like a physical fight right now. Like I'm truly surprised that buyers didn't actually punch them because, and I, this isn't me saying I'm on buyer's side by any right. means. I, I'm just saying it, it, that's when it starts becoming entertainment in some places that I was like, oh, this is hard to watch. I think the, the presence of cameras kept uh, the violence from potentially happening because John Mark Byers had a history of being just disinvolved. Uh, for numerous cases. His wife yeah. uh, died between the making of the first documentary and the second one. The other families uh, refused to take part in it anymore. Um, and it's also very painful to learn about the abuses that Damien is suffering while in police custody uh, and and trying to get their way out. But as I said, with those first two films, that's when people started noticing doing benefits. Uh, there was a benefit album with a bunch of different artists, Mark Lanigan and so on. Henry Rollins did an entire uh, benefit album performing Black Flag songs with a bunch of different singers and a subsequent tour thereafter. Uh, Peter Jackson donated money for the defense and for testing. And we fast forward to about 18 years after their conviction. I think it was Echo's last appeal. Um, I'm just going to go on a side note. Uh, now we'll save this for the end or after this next bit. And they, they, they needed a judge to get elected to another position in the state. So there would be a new judge to hear the appeal. I don't understand why Arkansas would allow a judge that ruled on a court to hear the appeal and then come to the conclusion and say, you know what? I'm wrong. That's not going to happen. Fucking over and over and over again. That's, I was like, what? It's just when you keep continuing to learn all the loopholes and, and, and convoluted pieces of our legal system, it's so annoying. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Just understatement of the year, I know. Um, but it's oh my god, I was like, it 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 just keeps going to the same guy. There's just no uh, anyway. Sorry. No, you're right. And when it finally enough work from the Innocence Project from Lori Davis, who was a pen pal with Damien Eccles, who eventually married him while he was in prison, uh, and all these other people kicking in money they finally got a judge that said and this is covered in the third film all right you guys should get a new trial and then prosecutor said you know what we're going to offer you this rare legal clause called an alford plea 
in which you can't you will plead guilty but maintain your innocence and if you do that you can go home immediately after and after 18 years incarcerated i can't think of anyone that wouldn't take that deal because you'll be out you'll be able to live and you can still work on clearing your name from the outside and baldwin Miskelly, and eccles took that deal it was the right fucking deal to take but also in pleading guilty they can't sue Arkansas for taking 18 years yeah. of their life. And Jason didn't want to take it. Like he had that heartbreaking line where he was like, I, I didn't want to do this, but they're going to kill Damien. And it's just so heartbreaking to hear that. Cause it is like, you're totally right. Like at the end of the day, it was showing that um, Arkansas just pretty much like shat itself with like, they knew this was going to continue there were inconsistencies like there there was some emergency meeting where they were like we got to make this go away but we also got to close the case um so it really does prove something that they decided to offer them this specific plea but it was heartbreaking to see because you know like jason said like i want to keep fighting i want to clear our name but they're going to kill him and um i he's my he's my friend and so I feel for um that's a big weight on your shoulders anyway um but I also think it's I mean it sucks because now again we're never going to know who did it they're not going to retest anything they've made that very fucking clear and the case is considered closed like Mm -hmm. it's just it's not a win-win for anyone like it's good that they're out um but you know, I I was looking after watching the documentary, I was looking at them um on the the three uh online, just seeing, you know, where they are on on social media and how their lives are. And I saw, you know, Damien's got his books and he's got his, you know, his own things that he's doing. He was obviously the he's obviously the most notable one. And you know, it is what it is, but I saw, you know, Jason Baldwin on Instagram and he's struggling, like Mm -hmm. financially he's struggling. And I felt it it broke my heart to see that, that he was just, he's not, he's not thriving. I mean, he can correct me if I'm wrong. And I I wish I could do something to support him. Um, But he's, he's not in, this didn't make his life any easier. I mean, sure. He's out of prison, but it's not like, you know, when you're in prison for that long, um, and this was something Rick, you and I were talking about, I think in the car that you go to prison when you're a teenager and then you're released so many years later, you've missed out on so many things that are vital to adulthood. And like, and it's just, it's so sad. I'm happy they're out obviously, but like, God sucks. They still just, they keep funding uh you know or raising money to test they keep urging for testing there's but they're not going to do it right um yeah what we talked about in the car was think about all the the life experiences you have from the age of 18 to to 36 not that you're there yet chelsea uh but every every date party concert uh even the low points in there they are all making you who you are out in the world, the trips that you have taken, the places you've been, the people you've met, the things you've seen. 
during those formative years and erase that in your inner jail cell. And you're seeing the horrors that uh, exist in a penitentiary and you're being moved around with little to no notice and you're dealing with filthy places and you're not seeing the people that you love and it sucks and you take that deal to get out and Jason didn't want to uh, but he did the right thing in my opinion uh, even though he's you know completed a law degree he can't practice because on paper he's a convicted felon as are Baldwin and I mean Miskelly and Eccles are as well um, so that's not easy uh, a lot of places will not hire you if you're a convicted felon uh, some states are, are working to change that. Uh, I know, last I heard, Damien Nichols moved to New York. Uh, wisely, so why the fuck would you want to stay in the state that tried to kill you? Uh, and he, to the best of my knowledge, is the one that's the most public, doing his thing, uh, being an author, uh, traveling and following uh, his Wiccan faith that I'm very ignorant about, but you know, he's recovered as best you can from someone doing something that traumatic while still working on it. And the last post that I saw was that yet another judge recused themselves in the appeals process. And I get why the state of Arkansas, currently governed by, I'll say it, uh, it's my opinion. You know what? It's my opinion, but I'm going to throw in allegedly just for legal reasons. Currently governed by alleged professional liar, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if the case is overturned, if these three people are exonerated, they can sue the shit out of the state. Now granted, over the 18 years that they were in prison, um, people that were their age and younger that saw the documentary became legal voters. And that started the change that helped to get the, the West Memphis Three out of prison. But I believe, although the system does not agree, that those people should not bear the taxpayer burden of the state fucking three lives uh, and more, in, in the case of the victims and their families, of not finding who the killer or killers were. Should the prosecution pay monetarily? I think so. Should West Memphis police pay monetarily? I think so. But that's not the way this the system is set up. The taxpayer is going to get fucked, and they would get fucked a lot. Again, we see it frequently when someone is let out of prison. They sue the state, and it 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 doesn't affect the the pockets of law enforcement or prosecutors. It affects you and me, John and JQ public, as, as so many people refer to them as. And the public didn't do shit. To the, well, some of the public did, did some shit to the West Memphis Three. But you know, uh, it's been 30 years. A lot of those people are dead. And you know, I understand why the state doesn't want to. It, it, it's hard for a, 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 an institution to admit it's wrong. And they'll typically only do it when everybody involved is dead. Yeah, I, it's a, 
it's a lot to discuss, right? Like I um I am very much against the death penalty because killing one person wrongfully uh is too many mm-hmm. when it comes to someone being convicted and killed. And there have been cases where people have found out, you know, what, 13 years after they were executed, like, oh, they actually might have been innocent. So that's one too many, way too many. Um, I'm very much against the death penalty. I think it's interesting. The argument a lot of people make for the death penalty is I don't want my tax dollars going towards keeping them alive. Uh, And this is people thinking that when someone is sentenced to death, like Damien, they're going to get killed the next day. It's literally not how it works. These are, there are people that spend 20 years on death row Mm -hmm. and more. Um, Statistically speaking, it's more expensive to put someone to death and to give them life without parole. <laughs> That's so fascinating. But, and a lot of people, they're just, and then they think, you know, the punishment, you know, fits the crime or whatnot. But anyway, whatever. Um, and when it comes to, yeah, it, it, I've seen like when people just get out of prison and the the life skills they're supposed to have and they're just really not set up for success. And by any means, they're just, here you're out go and um ugh, it's it's hard to see there's a good i recommend for people listening and i told rick about it there's a great tv show i think it might be on netflix it's called uh rectify and it's a drama series about a man who spent 20 years on death row for a crime he did not commit uh when he was 18 and the show kind of just highlights you know of course the injustices in the system as well as what it's like for him to be out in the world now after spending 20 years in a room with no window um very good show very heartbreaking i think yeah it just it's interesting to see and i and you brought up a point about the wicca stuff and of course they tried to use that and i guess you could argue successfully um use that against damien in the in the original trial and they had that fucking joke of a man who was a cult expert um or satanic expert like what the fuck was that who like i just it was that man was incredibly embarrassing um and i hope he's not doing well sorry anyway god i don't know nothing about nobody don't sue me (laughs) so (laughs) um but a lot of small towns especially um they say wiccan they think satanist they say mm-hmm. witchcraft and they think wiccan and like none of that actually correlates in the way they think they see satanist they think you're slicing the throat of a goat and dancing naked in the woods and like things like that one of those things is okay to do there's, there's nothing wrong with dancing <laughs> naked in the woods uh you might get ticks and lyme disease yeah it, you might like not have a good time after but um but anyway it's again just all of those misconceptions and fears and uh thinking about just what people think like just because you check out a book or write you know in a book that's about you know wiccan you know lifestyle or culture or the you know their way of life and it's actually relatively peaceful but you see an upside down cross and you freak out and it's like it's just so funny because of how so violent and hardcore the bible is itself that Mm -hmm. people get upset about other religions or other ways of life 
Have um, you read this bullshit? Anyway. Yeah, exactly. But it's so fascinating. And again, it just shows that ignorance of like, um, you know, just because he had a book on Wiccan culture, like, like my God, I have so many. Like you would think I I'm up to some stuff. Um, if you were ignorant and saw my bookshelf. So it's just another sad thing about the case and what satanic panic caused. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, having just uh, returned from Salem, which is unusual, that that's a little town that's pretty much cashed in on the worst thing that has ever happened in that town. However, they've reclaimed it. They've done some things with it. And uh, where the car was parked, we passed uh, a little shop, uh, Black Craft something or other. I forget their name entirely. But they, they sell clothing. They've got their own clothing line, and it's very Satan-themed. Uh, lots of pentagrams, lots of uh, there is no God, uh, booty shorts that say sinner on them. I can dig that. Uh, yes, I got some some devil socks. It's cool. But walking in, there were some lovely gothic young people who welcomed us like they were Walmart greeters. And they were so fucking pleasant. Uh, and, and, and that's the thing. If When you meet the weirdos, the horror fans, the headbangers, the punk rockers, the ones that the generation before me thought looked bad and they were bad people. They're some of the nicest, friendliest, kindest people you're ever going to meet. It's the suit-wearing Wall Street motherfuckers that I'm concerned about. Um, it, it's the people with badges and guns that make me nervous. It's 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 a lot easier and cheaper, I think, in a lot of cases, to be a clean cut near do well than it is to be a a fashionable weirdo. I agree. I mean, they're they're often the nicest people in the world and the kindest, and they're the ones that are going to you know uh, lend a hand before anyone else. And just like literally any other group in the world, there are bad eggs. There just are. Like, again, that's the way it is with everything. So, um, you know, it's the classic people fear what they don't understand. And if they don't understand your interests, then they're, they're going to freak out. And uh, especially when it's time to point the finger at someone. Um, who's the easiest target that the public will agree um, or that we can easily manipulate the public to agree. And in 1993, that's, that's who was easy to, easy to target. I think, um, yeah, it's just all so sad. No, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, I wouldn't call it a happy ending by any means or a satisfying ending it, it's it's great that they're out but again like just thinking about the three boys that were murdered as well like justice will never be served for those three mm-hmm. little boys and that is really sad that's that really got me at the end when I realized oh I mean I'm so happy they're out and I was so focused on being happy that they're out that I was like and this means we'll just never know um and unless the miracle happens so yeah, I I really enjoyed watching it. I think I'm going to read The Devil's Knot, but I think I'm going to wait because I just feel like it's going to be a lot of what I saw in the documentary. 
exactly but I'll, I I'll, read it. I'll, I'll dig through my books and I'll find it you know you should read some of the other books that I've lent you first I was about to say I have I have a pile no I'll probably read it on audible or something okay. um yeah this is uh not our usual fun filled kind of jokey episode about a serious topic but you know it, it's it's one that that came up in our lives and we put on the mic to to share with our listeners and thanks for having that uh i follow damien eccles on social media and i've never considered asking him to be on the podcast he'll be like hey let's talk about the worst period of your life or uh entertainment that's and we can give you no money <laughs> so yeah. it would just be for funsies in the event he ever listens to this episode uh, i'm just glad you're out and hopefully you're fucking happy uh and and hopefully one day on paper people will realize what everybody off paper for the most part has is that you didn't do your shit uh and uh, like I said, the luckiest moment that you had was some people wanted to make a movie about it because let's, I can't imagine how many people have been executed that weren't lucky enough to have a documentary made about their, about the crime they were convicted for. A little bit heavy. I don't have an ending for this. So let's just go into the plugs. I do want to say, yes, just please. I think you already said their names, but I just want to say them again. Just remembering the three kids, Steve Edward Branch, Christopher Mark Byers, and James Michael Moore, like mm -hmm. that, again, the injustice that they, that has been put upon them and their families is, is very heartbreaking and um, not, not enough that, you know, a lot of true crime uh, focuses on the suspects or the killers and not on the victims, or they paint the victims as their ideal victim and I think you know these were just three little cub scouts that had their whole lives ahead of them but mm -hmm. sorry I just brought it down even more but I just wanted to call them out again and the three you know Jesse and Jason and Damien I wish them wish them the best uh yeah it's it's crazy um I'm really glad I watched it and I'm really glad that I'm more aware of it because I really do um I, I really did take a seat away from true crime, but this is the type of true crime that I'm like, okay, yes, I can, I can digest this. Like this can be in my life. I just realized, and hopefully others do too. Like there, there was just a part of me that was digesting all of these criminal cases and all these really horrible stories. And they were such a big part of my life for entertainment. And it was making me question myself and my own like mortality honestly and then thinking about like just how it's just such dark shit to put in your life for entertainment purposes especially if you're not truly honoring the victims of it so um not naming names by any means but if you are going to digest uh true crime content be mindful is what i'll what i'll say mm -hmm. yeah um loathe as i am to uh uh, plug a streaming service during a strike where uh, CEO David Zaslav is bragging about how much money the corporation has saved by people going on strike. Uh, you can watch all of these films on Max. You can read the book Devil's Not by Mara Leverett if you're so inclined. 
Um, then yeah, Chelsea, where can people find you if they want to find you in, in <laughs> higher spirits than we are now? <laughs> they can find me on Twitter. Um, I will not call it its other name. Yeah. Even to my death. It's Twitter, okay? Like, come on. And you can find we, me on Twitter. We, we don't dead name uh, people, but we will dead name corporations. That's why I call Nissans Datsuns, and we're going to call it Twitter. I didn't think about that with Nissan. That's good to know. Because um, you're not as old as I am. That's true. I'm a baby. But um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter or on Instagram. Uh, just look up Chelsea Bennington, and you will see me. Right. You can check out uh, Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook. That's where you're going to get all the up-to-date information on the shows that we're working on getting. Um, if you're in the New York area and want to drop the Magnet Theater a line to have us back in October, I wouldn't complain. You can find Spooky Doings on Instagram. I'm at Rick Guzman 718 on Twitter. Um, Spooky Doings is also on Threads, but it's pretty much uh, a lot of the same uh horror per that's personal and not as much uh improv related but you know it's there uh as we give the finger to horrible well from from one horrible billionaire's platform to another i know it's a battle of evils that's all right yep. <laughs> it's always wonderful talking to you chelsea oh likewise it's always wonderful talking to me <laughs> And to our listeners, thank you for listening. In the meantime and in between time, stay good, stay healthy, and stay spooky. Bye.